0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Darrell Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. The cost of prescription drugs has risen dramatically over the past few years. In the United States, we spend at least twice as much for prescription drugs as other Western nations. Even old, established medication costs are rising significantly. Today, we'll look into the problem of rising drug costs, the reason for the problem, and the potential solutions to the problem. Our guest today is Dr. Vincent Rajkumar, a hematologist at Mayo Clinic. He's a specialist in multiple myeloma, but has also published an important article in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings on the Cost of Prescription Drugs. Vince, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Darrell. Well, let's start with the question on the drug costs. What's happened to drug costs in the United States over the past several years? Well,
1: prescription drug costs have risen sharply in the United States over the last 10 to 20 years. And we used to spend about $250 billion a year for prescription drug costs only about 10 years ago. And now we are spending $350 billion or higher. So costs are are rising. Uh, The price of new drugs is very high, but the
0: price of old drugs is also rising. Can you give us some examples of medications that we prescribe commonly where the costs have risen dramatically?
1: Well, um, uh, everyone's heard of the story of EpiPen, where the price went up uh, several fold overnight. Um, we've also heard of Martin Shkreli and Daraprim, but more common drugs like vitamin K could cost 25 to $60 a pill. Um, the most notorious one that is in the news now is insulin.
0: So what's the cause of this? Uh, why this rapid rise in medication costs that we've so recently seen? I think the first and foremost reason is
1: that we are dealing with a vulnerable population. Um, type 1 diabetics will die without insulin. So they will pay any amount of money to get it. So it allows companies to keep raising raising prices, knowing that someone will have to buy it. Um, Cancer patients, they have to take their chemotherapy. We are all willing to do anything and everything it takes for our loved one, no matter how high the cost is. And this allows um, price of prescription drugs, unlike, say, other items that we use, which are more luxury items, Go up in cost, and yet we still have to buy them because we need them to save lives. Mm-hmm. Some of the rise uh, can be attributed to uh, the passage of the Medicare Modernization Act, which uh, basically provided party drug coverage, prescription drug coverage for uh, patients. Um, but at the same time, drug companies where uh, Medicare was prevented from negotiating with drug companies over the price. And this basically led to annual price increases of old drugs and very high launch prices for new drugs.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how prescription drug costs are determined?
1: Well, you know, in all of the developed countries, when a new drug is introduced to the market, the approval of the new drug is just the first step. Um, but Subsequently, there is a second step where another organization, either a governmental organization or an independent organization, that sets the price uh, based on the value that the drug provides. In the U.S., prescription drug costs are basically determined by the pharmaceutical company, and there is no legal method for us to limit what the launch price would be or how much they can increase the price. So it's basically
0: whatever the market can bear. Well, how are the pharmaceutical companies defending this? Um, How are they indicating why this need for rapid drug costs? They usually say they take a big risk bringing a drug to the market
1: and that it costs a lot to bring a new drug to the market, approximately a billion dollars. They also say that the drugs are actually uh, providing major value to the patients and the price basically reflects the value that they provide. And they also would defend this saying that there is a market and we shouldn't disturb the market and that anything we do to put regulations on the price would lead to um, disruption of innovation and that they wouldn't be able to innovate or invest in new drugs. But all of these are actually not true uh, because studies show it doesn't take one billion dollars to develop a new drug. The weaker the drug, the more money it costs because you run four or five randomized trials instead of one. Um, the true cost to bring a new drug to the market is probably more like 200 to $300 million. Uh, there are no market forces at play. Uh, we give monopolistic protection and therefore pharmaceutical companies can set prices at whatever level they're so there. So there's no real market forces to keep a lid on prices. Price has no relationship to value. Uh, All drugs are priced at a very high level for life-threatening diseases like cancer. And even if price was related to value, it cannot justify annual price increases of 10% and 20%. And finally, uh, the fact that you can command a high price regardless of the value your drug provides is not a way to innovate. It actually is the enemy of innovation. It makes you um, go for the most easy option to bring in a new drug. You go for the me-too drug. Why take a risk innovating and then having the drug not work out when you can make as much money uh, with a
0: weak drug or with a me-too drug? Let's get specific. I think the, um, one of the first products that was brought to the public attention in terms of the cost that increased dramatically was out of EpiPen. Uh, but insulin has now been very uh, in much in the news in terms of how much that has gone up in cost. Um, insulin is an old therapy. Why has that drug increased so much?
1: Well, insulin, as you know, first discovered in 1921 and first patented in 1923. But every 10, 15 years, a newer version of insulin has been developed. And as each newer version developed, was developed, they were patented. And so the most recent recent patents were uh, in the 1990s for uh, analog insulins and in the 2000s for long-acting analog insulins. So there's still patent life left on these drugs, and therefore there are three companies which monopolize the insulin market in the United States. And these three companies have increased the price of insulin from about $25 a vial to $275 a vial over over the last 15 to 20 years.
0: Do we, as healthcare providers, then tend to prescribe the most latest version of insulin, for example?
1: Analog insulins are a are a major uh, improvement over the older versions because they're more predictable and longer acting, and you can more, uh, you can give yourself less frequent um, insulin shots and less frequent monitoring. So physicians and patients prefer these. They're also usually available in convenient methods of administration like insulin pens. Um, So there are older insulins available still on the market. Most of them have been retired, but uh, Walmart does sell a couple of cheap insulins which are human insulins, but not analog.
0: Okay. Well, can't generic drugs be part of the solution to this problem, or are those costs going up as well? Well, generic drugs can
1: be a big Uh, factor, provided there are enough generics. Uh, Studies show that you need at least four or more generic competitors to actually have an effect on the drug price. Uh, If there is only one competitor, then the price of both the generic and the brand name drug both tend to be high. And a recent study found that um, if you look at Medicare Part D plans, um, there are many generics that are not on the preferred preferred tier of formula replacement even though they are cheaper Mm -hmm. because of rebates and other things brand names are able to negotiate so yes generics can be a very effective solution provided there's easier way for generics to enter the market there are more generics entering and we have a rebate system that doesn't reward the more expensive drug so that generics are then shortchanged with insulin because it's a biologic drug it's not it's not called a generic but it's called a biosimilar because whoever is making um, say Novolog or Humalog biosimilar will have to cannot make the identical product but they make something exactly the same uh, way it it acts and there's a different process and there are only a few biosimilars on
0: the market now. Hmm. So who's making money on these medications? Is it just the pharmaceutical companies or are there others involved in this? Well there is a, there is a
1: big supply chain. Um, there's the pharmaceutical company, the wholesaler, the retail pharmacy, the pharmacy benefit manager and the insurer. Um, everybody is involved and then the patient is also involved. The whole supply chain benefits from a higher price because they go off a fraction of a prop percentage of the of the cost of the drug as their profit. Um, But studies show that, by and large, the vast majority of the problem lies with the pharmaceutical company. But pharmacy benefit managers may be contributing to maybe 20-25% of the costs uh,
0: of a a drug. And there's no restrictions anywhere from the top to the bottom of this food chain?
1: There is no restriction. I mean, everything is privately negotiated contracts, uh, which are not transparent. And so you would not know uh, how much... Uh, of uh, of the cost actually is going to the pharmacy as a net um, price. For example, with insulin, pharmaceutical companies claim that 70% of the cost of the insulin is actually not coming back to them, but it's going down the supply chain to mm-hmm. other players. So um, let's say a drug costs uh, $100 as the list price. This is the price that the pharmaceutical company sets at the beginning. Uh, they then mark it up 10% and sell it to the wholesaler. That becomes the wholesaler's acquisition cost. Um, The wholesaler marks it up 10% and sells it to the pharmacy. That becomes the pharmacy's acquisition cost. And the pharmacy then can mark it up and sell it to the insurer plus the patient for what is called the negotiated price. All these prices are different than what the actual price that the pharmacy might get, uh, that the pharmaceutical company might get because there are rebates involved. So the, the payments are made, but then the pharmaceutical company can give $50 back to the pharmacy benefit manager that the patient is unaware of. Um, and so the, the total cost to, to the pharmacy benefit manager is lower than what the list price was. This form of rebates, what it does is, since the rebate system is opaque, it can take a very expensive drug um, to be on the formulary because that is the drug that gives the highest rebate to the pharmacy benefit manager. Uh, This has been shown with hepatitis C drugs, two very similar hepatitis uh, C drugs, one costing $2,000 more for the patient than the other. Most formularies had the more expensive option, rather than the less expensive option because of greater rebates. Well, who's, bring, who's being hurt most by this? I think we cannot f- forget the patients. They are the main people. They need the drug right now, and they are hurt in many ways. Uh, when, when costs of drugs are very high, um, they have higher out, out-of-pocket costs. They also have higher and higher deductibles, which all have to be paid at the same time, not spread out over the years. So they they are really facing the brunt of this problem. But the citizens are also, the overall citizen population is also affected in terms of higher taxes and higher premiums.
0: So for individuals whose medications are covered by insurance, we're all paying that because our insurance rates are going up. But for those individuals who have to pay out of pocket, they're really hurting. Yes, they are really hurting. And what
1: um, what Congress and pharmaceutical companies uh, should not make the mistake of is trying to just reduce out-of-pocket costs because um, that then will solve one problem, but the prices now can go up even faster because they, when there is no out-of-problem pro- for the patient, uh, there's no other market force that can keep the uh, lid
0: on prices. Hmm. N.P. or P.A. looking to fulfill your 2019 CME and pharmacology credit requirements? We have designed our online inpatient medicine for N.P.'s and P.A.'s course just for you. Learn about treatment pathways from admission to discharge in an interactive case-based format. Visit ce.mayo.edu to get started on your credits now. Join us weekly here at Mayo Clinic Talks as we discuss best practices and burning questions. Subscribe today using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Is there evidence that patients are actually being harmed by this? Are, are some totally unable to afford the medications they really need to uh, continue?
1: Oh, yes. I mean, uh, we have... Uh, Studies, most recent study done by the Case of Family Foundation that found that approximately 30-25% of the U.S. population finds it very difficult to afford prescription drugs. That will probably be the proportion of the U.S. population that is not well insured and it's um, uh, in poverty. And uh, even middle class patients, middle class uh, uh, people are affected. The more the number of medications, people who take more than four medications a day, they find it very difficult uh, to pay for this. And up to thirty percent say that they have s- they have stopped taking the medication or ration their medication in order to make it affordable. Um, the story of Alex Smith, uh, which has been in the news, is a young man, twenty-six years old, when he went off his mother's insurance, uh, type one diabetic, but could not afford insurance, could not afford out-of-pocket, and therefore he ended up rationing his insulin and then died a few, year, few days later. Um, so this is a real problem and one that affects uh, patients, particularly patients with life-threatening diseases, much more.
0: I know I've had patients of my own who told me they couldn't afford their medications and they were taking some every other day which for medications that didn't have a very long half-life left them basically unprotected every other day. We've talked a little bit about generic medications. Is there additional costs in terms of research and development when a drug goes from brand to generic, or does it just automatically happen?
1: Um, for a... Uh, for. for For regular drugs which have a generic equivalent, there is no additional research that a generic company needs to do, but they basically um, uh, get an indication from the FDA by showing that their product is identical to the parent compound. They have to submit the filing uh, uh, like a supplemental NDA. However, um, there are many ways in which uh, generics are prevented from entering the market because Uh, pharmaceutical companies typically take out multiple patents on the same drug. Lantus has patents that can go on for many, many more years, for example. Um, And so when a generic tries to enter, there are usually lawsuits that uh, they would have to defend against, which always puts a barrier for a generic to come into the market. And if they also have to meet the FDA regulatory thresholds. There have been pharmaceutical companies that have been fined for paying generic companies money to not come to market. So there are barriers, but um,
0: these are some things that we can change. Is this problem unique to our country? How How are other countries dealing with this? Well, as I mentioned, other
1: countries have recognized that when you give a monopoly protection to a company, and allow them to sell a product, particularly in this case a life-saving product, uh, with no competitor in sight, that there has to be a regulation on price because otherwise the price would be whatever the company would feel that they can get away with. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a structure in place where, based on the value that the drug provides, a price is negotiated so that a drug, say for cancer, that works by prolonging overall survival by one week or two weeks is not priced the same high level as a drug that prolongs overall survival by one year or two years. What we have, because we don't have that mechanism, is every cancer drug that is introduced in the last two or three years is priced at more than $100,000 a year with an average price of more than $150,000 a year. And Pharmaceutical companies are testing the waters to see, can we charge 300000 or 400000 a year? And nothing besides outrage is there to stop it. There mm-hmm. is no legal or regulatory framework we have in place that prevents a monopolistic company from uh, raising prices indiscriminately. How is the federal government purchasing drugs? Um it's, the federal government uh, provides prescription drug coverage through two main mechanisms, the Part B mechanism for drugs that are administered in a doctor's office, and the federal government currently spends, Medicare alone currently spends, about $30 billion a year on that. And we also spend $100 billion a year on Part D drugs, which are oral prescription drugs and other drugs that you might buy from a pharmacy. In addition, the VA and the Department of Defense probably spend another $10 billion. So there's a lot of money, $130, $140 billion that the federal government spends. But in uh, except for the VA and the Department of Defense, the federal government is prevented from negotiating the price of these drugs that it purchases. So they have to buy whatever price that, that companies charge. With Part D, for example, the government doesn't actually purchase the drugs. Um, we have Part D private plans that patients are enrolled in. But once the uh, once the cost of the drug exceeds $5,100, all the remaining costs uh, are not paid by the plan or the patient, uh, except for a small amount. 80% of the cost is borne by Medicare. So they're not
0: directly purchasing, but they're paying for it. Mm-hmm. Do you personally have thoughts on what can be done to limit this significant problem?
1: Uh, yes, I think there are, there are many <coughs> important solutions that have been um, suggested. These are solutions that are done in other developed countries, and they work well because most countries the price of drugs is a third of or lower than what we pay. Uh, and so these are not uh, difficult things uh, in principle, but they're difficult to implement because many of them require legislation. Um, number one, value-based pricing. Other, uh, We need an agency. We have an agency in the U.S. called the ICER, I-C-E-R, Institute for Clinical and Economic Review. That's a private, independent foundation that usually gives an estimated price that the drug is worth based on the value it provides. There's one example of, uh, uh, of, uh, of companies voluntarily reducing their price based on ICER's recommendations. That was with the PCSK9 inhibitors, Repatha and Preluin. Um, Those drugs were priced at $14,000 a year, and now they're priced at $5,800 uh, or so a year based on what the ICER recommendation was in terms of how much those drugs were actually worth. So we need a system like that for value-based pricing that controls the launch price as well as limits any price increases annually that might occur. We need to have Medicare be able to directly negotiate, not through Part P company, Part D companies, directly negotiate for the price of prescription drugs because they are paying the bulk. Or we need to make sure that Medicare is not paying the bill, that, that the 80% cannot be paid by Medicare, it has to be paid by the plan. So then the plan would effectively negotiate for a lower price. Um, third, we need to um, l- eliminate a major problem that we have in the U.S. where uh, drugs administered in physicians' offices, uh, Medicare reimbursement is average sales price plus 6%. Uh, this provides an incentive for physicians to choose the more expensive option. If I have a choice between zoledronic acid and denosumab, and one costs $70 and one costs 2000 and I can get 6% extra, which one would I give? And you don't want to put physicians in that position. Uh, and that conflict has to be removed. And these are all changes that have been proposed. And finally, we need to reform the rebate system where tr- non-transparent opaque rebates are being passed around and no one knows um, what it takes for a drug to be on formulary, whether it's because it is the most value p- valuable drug or you know the drug that provides the most value or is it the drug that somehow even though it's more expensive provided the biggest rebate to the insurer so we need to reform the rebate structure so that rebates are passed on to the consumer um, uh, whatever uh, directly or indirectly rather than retained by the pharmacy benefit manager so some of these changes are important there are more complicated things we could do but at least I
0: think at least these would be a start. Finally, one more question: What can we do as healthcare providers, given the current environment that we have, to limit how much our patients are paying for their medications?
1: Um, I spoke with um, Nicole Smith uh, Holt, who lost her son Alex Smith, who died rationing his insulin. In terms of, if you were at Mayo Clinic, what would you tell physicians? What what? Any lessons that you think we should learn from this? And she said no one talked to her son about affordability. Um, There are, for patients in emergent need, um, maybe other forms of insulin that one could use till you tide over the problem. But the most important thing is, talk to your patients about affordability. That was the message for me. Uh, And we have studies showing, even a Mayo study, that we hardly talk to our patients about cost. And many physicians are not well versed with cost issues and how much a medication would cost and where to find the cost. Talking to patients about affordability, choosing the lowest price option, And giving them guidance on where to find the lowest cost drugs would be very helpful. Consumer Reports, Lisa Gill did did an article where she showed you could pay $1,000 for the five or six most common medications or you could pay $150. It depends on which pharmacy you go to buy. And these resources are available online such as goodrx.com. They not only help patients who are uninsured, but even insured patients more and more, 25%, are paying a portion of the drug uh, cost as coinsurance, not a fixed copay. So the more expensive the drug, the more expensive your out-of-pocket coinsurance will Mm -hmm. be. And so educating physicians and educating um, them on how to address these concerns with patients is very, very critical, and we can make a big difference
0: in that way. And we've talked a little bit about generic drugs. They should be just as safe as branded drugs? Absolutely. Okay. Another technique that I've often used with my patients is for a medication that may have the same cost for a 5, 10, and 20 milligram tablet uh, to take a 10 milligram and uh, cut it in half. It's nice when they're scored. They're usually not, but uh, uh, if they're the same cost, they can save 50% that way. So little things like that. Yes, absolutely. We've been talking about the rising cost of prescription drugs with Dr. Vincent Rajkumar, a Mayo Clinic hematologist. Vince, thank you so much for sharing this important information with us. If you have enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.